0: Hi, and welcome to the Passionistas Project podcast, where we talk with women who are following their passions to inspire you to do the same. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and today we're talking with Jessica Lorian, the host and producer of the Mamas in Training podcast. She supports pregnant women and aspiring moms on their journey into motherhood. And what makes her show so different from other pregnancy and motherhood podcasts is that she is not yet a mom. An autoimmune disease has delayed her journey into motherhood, and she's decided to learn right alongside her audience. With a background in performing on stage, in front of camera, as well as being a professional singer, her mission is to spread the importance of studying motherhood. She intends to use her voice and desire to connect with women everywhere, to learn the lessons that she's learned, and give community to those in need. So please welcome to the show, Jessica Lorian.
1: It's so nice to be here. I I really, really appreciate it. It's wonderful to sit down with you both.
0: It's really great to have you here. So what's the one thing that you're most passionate about? You know, it's interesting because as you
1: were reading the intro, I was thinking about it. and, And first of all, I love what you do. I think it's really important for women to be reminded of their passions and to be reminded that there's more to us than whether it's a job or motherhood or whatever the million roles are that we usually carry. Um, so I think that's so important, important what you're doing, but I also find it interesting how passions can shift and adjust and take more priority than others at different times of your life. And so growing up and throughout college, high school, beyond college, Professionally here, living in New York city, my main passion has always been performing, um, acting, singing, dancing, performing in any capacity, really. And that's what I went to school for. That's what I did professionally. Um, and then, you know, I, I still have that passion and that's never going to stop. And it's going to be something that I'll be giving more energy to coming up soon, but COVID sort of hit <laughs> and I had, had dabbled in this podcast. And then when COVID hit and I, all the performing opportunities went away and online and voice was so prevalent, I was like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to dive fully into this other hobby that I had because it was truly just a hobby. And then as I was putting more energy and effort into it and I was realizing the actual why behind what I was doing... I was like feeling this passion kind of bubble up and grow, literally develop. And so it's interesting because now I guess I would say my my second to acting, one of my biggest passions is definitely this podcast. And more than the podcast, because it's not about, of course, I'd love to have more downloads and I'd love to, you know, do all this stuff monetization-wise, but the real root of the podcast and, and the mission and what I'm doing is the fact that I'm able to connect to these women. I'm able to reach out and have real relationships through meetings that we meet every month and online, social media, everything with these women that sometimes have no support and no, no community, no even family. Um, and so that's been the biggest passion through it
2: all. We'll dive into that more. In a little bit, but let's start with when you first had that spark for performing. Were you were you a kid, and and what was your childhood like um, in performing growing up?
1: Oh yeah, I um I was surrounded by performing my entire life. Um, growing up, my mom was a choir director, and she ended up taking over the department there, so she was the head of the music department and the choir director. She also taught. Um, sorry, that was at a um, high school, and then she ended up being the department chair for basically the the entire town. So all elementary, middle, junior, and high school. She also worked at a college. She also performed herself in musicals and she did the musical. She was also um, creator of, of a show choir, if you've ever heard of show choir. And my father, he was also um, growing up. he played the trumpet, He was a singer. They both sang at churches and my parents are divorced. And so it was kind of like during the week I would live with my mom and on the weekends I would go with my dad. And so on the week I would, you know, be totally at my mom's school. When I was growing up, I was sitting in those rehearsals and watching her do what she was doing and, and seeing the kids and growing up with the kids doing it. And then on the weekends I would go with my dad and we would go to church and I would be sitting in the, um, in the uh, little pews there waiting for him and watching him sing two, three masses sometimes. And he was always exposing me to music and all these other things. And so it was really from as early as I can remember. I think the passion developed, I remember when I was in middle school, I went to a summer arts program, it's called SMARTS. I actually think it still exists if anyone lives in Massachusetts. And it's a wonderful program where for the summer, for a few months, you choose a major and a minor. And so I majored in dance because I grew up dancing probably was the first thing I did. I never really acted as a little kid and singing came later, but I chose a a major. So that was dance. And then my minor was musical theater. And so I'll never forget. We did this little song thing from, um, a Little Mermaid. And I sang this little solo from Ariel. And afterward, I don't know what it was, but my mom came up to me and, you know, granted she's my mom, but she was also a professional. Like she knew what she was doing. She came up to me and she was like, Jessica, that was fabulous. And she just started praising me for how wonderful it was. And not just my singing, but my acting of it. And I, I'll never forget that moment. Cause that was always the moment that kind of really, I was like, really? I mean, I had a lot of fun, but if that's really as good as how it felt, then cool. So I think that was really, I can say the, the initial spark of it all.
0: After that, did you go on to study uh, theater and, and performing? Yeah. So that was kind of the initial bug.
1: And then my mom put me in some of her, uh, two of her high school productions. So I was, I didn't go to her high school, but when I was in middle school, she's like, Oh, let me just put you in the chorus. And so that was super fun. And then of course, at that time, when I was in middle school, I was hanging out with the high school kids. So I just also thought that that was super cool. And then when I went to high school, I pretty much started doing it all the time. I was in, you know, in the musicals and the drama club and everything. Um, And I would do summer shows. There was this wonderful summer program um, in my town. And so I would do shows there. And then it was really in high school, I was like, this, I think this is, you know, I can't imagine doing anything else. And so I decided to go to school for it. So I went to school and got a BFA in musical theater, Um, went to school in Virginia. Um, And, you know, it's funny, another moment I'll also kind of never forget is when we were looking for schools, we went to Ithaca. And we came across the head of the music department, musical theater department there. And she looked at me and she said, If you can picture yourself doing anything else but theater, don't do theater. And I was petrified at the time. But, you know, rightfully so, that was wonderful advice because you do need to have this level of, you know, blinders on. And just be so focused because you get a lot of no's and you get a lot of rejection and you don't have control over a lot of things. And so it was great advice, but also terrible advice at the same time. Um, But it it didn't scare me off. I said, well, no, I can't imagine myself truly doing anything else. And so I went to school for it and then graduated and moved to the city right away.
2: And what was that experience like as a, a young actress getting to New York and starting your career?
1: It was crazy. My mom always likes to tell the story. I don't know now being 35 and looking back, I don't know if I was an idiot or not, but she and my stepfather offered me as a graduation gift, a trip to Italy. She's like, we've been saving up some money and we'd love to take you to Italy. And I was like,
2: "Mm,
1: you know what? I think I just want to move to New York city. (laughs) Stupid, stupid, stupid. But, um, yeah, so I, uh, I ended up, Moving right away, I literally stayed at a family friend's place for two weeks. I had no job, I had no place to live, really. Just figured I would, I'd, I'd fix, I'd figure it out. And if anyone is listening who knows um, the musical Forty Second Street, it was truly like Peggy Sawyer. My mom took me to the bus station. I had my one suitcase and my, you know, couple bags, and she just waved goodbye to me on the bus, and she left sobbing, and I got off the bus at 42nd street and I made my way to grand central and I was staying right. Um, the family friend was like right over Tudor city, like 41st and first. And I just, I walked into that apartment. I'll never forget that feeling. And I was like, wow, all right, I'm here. Let's do it. Like, I don't know what to do next, but, and my dad ended up coming down a week later and, Walking me around the city to help me find a job, I found a job a week later, and just yeah, started hitting the ground running. But it was truly when I moved to the city, I really didn't know anybody. There were a couple people from college who had moved up, um, but I, I mean, it's not like a lot of kids graduate from musical theater and move up and have a big community, you know. And I really didn't have that, so it was it was crazy. It was scary. It was exciting. It was overwhelming. And now I always think back in high school, we would take these weekend trips to, to to New York, and I would I remember standing in Times Square and always being like, I'm gonna live here one day, and so I often have to remind myself of that because you know the city can be tough, and it's it's the love hate relationship with it, um, but it's where I've always wanted to be, and so that was a passion of mine too that I fulfilled, which is really cool.
2: How do you get through the challenging times, especially with COVID and everything? How do you take that rejection and how do you deal with the challenges of being an actress?
1: You know, it's an interesting question. I think if you had asked me 10 years ago, um, I'd have a completely different answer. But I think now, honestly, it's having another passion project and it's having something else that lights you up. I think it's necessary. And I think anybody who is looking into going into any career that has to, especially has to do with performing, but as any aspect of artistry behind it, you have to have something else that lights you up, something else that, um, you know, fills you something else that drives you. And I, and I, at the time when I say, you know, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I was so narrow focused and yes, that's what you need but you also need to be a full person. And I think that took me a long time to really understand that. And, and that comes with many things, you know what I mean? Like, even if you're working a corporate job, you need to have something else that lights you up because it just, it bleeds into everything else that you do. And so I found, you know, when I started having these other passions and having these other hobbies, even before it was a passion, a, I thing to talk about, you know, you walk into these audition rooms and people are like, you know, they might ask you questions or you might meet with an agent or a casting director and they're asking you things. And when they say like, so tell tell us a little bit about yourself. They don't want to hear, well, I'm an actor. I love to dance. I love to sing. Like they know that. So they want to hear like, Oh, I have a podcast and it's for moms and it's really cool. And I did this the other day with that. And that's the stuff that makes you a person. And that what makes you interesting to work with. So my advice to someone who's starting off in that career would definitely be to get yourself another hobby, whether it's fitness, whether it's crafting, whether it's podcast, whatever it is. Um, And that definitely helped helped me.
2: So tell us a little bit about your own career. Like, What have been some of your favorite parts that you've had? My absolute favorite, favorite role was
1: I got an opportunity twice, actually, to play Mary Poppins. Um, and goodness gracious, that was like both times. It was just a dream. The very first time was just so magical because it was the first time doing it. Um, but there was something about that role. It, I love children, which is why I started a podcast about babies and children. Um, and so it fit for me. And I just, it, it it felt like a glove, you know, there are certain things that you do in life that just like, yep, that's, that's right. That works. That feels right. And, um, I had an unbelievable cast. I had an unbelievable Bert. He's just Kyle Zen. He's just amazing. And he's working in Disney now. Um, but it was, it was like no other. I mean, there's truly no words to describe it from top to bottom. Everything just fit. Um, I'll tell this one really quick story connected to that show. Um, I was in the audition room, actually, I had sang a couple times and was asked to do the dance audition was in a dance callback. So if you go to a professional audition, you're, you're in the room with a ton of girls and they usually call four or five, uh, whether it's girls and guys or just girls, up together and they do the dance with everybody else in the room kind of on the side and they just cycle through and cycle through and cycle through and we had done it was a tap combination and so this one group had gone up there and as they were about to go this one girl started freaking out she's like oh my gosh and her tap shoe broke and she was like oh my tap and I just ran over to her and I said what size shoe are you And she said, eight and a half. And I said, me too. And so I just took my shoe off and gave it to her. And that little moment literally was the biggest talk of the story from that director. And of course, like I did a good job in the role and I was talented, but honestly, I think just that random act of kindness booked me the role because not only did he comment on it three times that day, but he proceeded to talk about it when I came back in for callbacks. And then when I eventually got the job and we were at, um, so before we, when you work with this one director, he's fabulous Mark Robin before you work with him. Um, I mean, when you work with him the day before you go into your tech week. So when you start adding all of the lighting and the set design and all those implements, you, he always has A talk and he it's like the tech talk and it's basically to hype you up for what's to come because a tech week can be kind of challenging but he delivers this unbelievable inspirational tech week uh motivational speech but in the conversation he decided to call out and retell the entire shoe tap shoe story and basically it was wonderful what he said because he was saying you know that we're being led by someone myself who is inclusive and is this Mary Poppins type figure and is looking out for everybody. And I truly was just doing it because I wanted, I mean, everyone should just have an equal chance. And if she she was my shoe size, why not? Um, but it just blew his mind. And so that was a really cool experience to just, and also lesson. And, you know, we're technically not in competition with anybody. I mean, we are, but just having that open heart can really give you a lot of opportunities. So, I mean, bar none, I would say that Mary Poppins experience was the best. Um, and then secondly was just tour. I mean, being on tour with the national tour of Beauty and the Beast was just like an experience I could never explain. You had to travel the country in Canada and get paid and perform and have kids waiting for you at the stage door. And I mean, it's just, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing.
2: We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and you're listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Jessica Lorian. To tune into the Mamas in Training podcast, visit jessicalorian.com. If you're enjoying this interview and would like to help us to continue to create inspiring content, please consider becoming a patron by visiting the backslash podcast and clicking on the patron button. Even $1 a month can help us continue our mission of inspiring women to follow their passions. Now here's more of our interview with Jessica.
0: So let's talk about your podcast. So what inspired you to create Mamas in Training? We've been talking a little bit about this acting career.
1: It's like you have ebbs and flows as an actor. And I especially didn't really have anything else that I was doing besides my jobs And... I was kind of looking for something creative. I was looking for something that I could control because also, as I mentioned, there's very little that you control as an actor or at least it feels that way. And I was also in this place that all of my friends were starting to have kids. And so I was in conversation about motherhood almost 90% of the time. And so I was also a little bit of a birth story junkie. (laughs) I love hearing birth stories. I know it's weird, but I do. Uh, And so I was naturally just asking my friends about these things and was curious about them. And the main spark happened when one of my best friends had just had her baby. And I went to go visit her two weeks after the baby was born. And she was just talking to me about how when she's pumping or she's breastfeeding, feels kind of lonely and isolating because she said, you know, if I'm over my in-laws, I have to go to a second bedroom or I have to like sit in the car and do it before we can go into a store or whatever. And so I thought, well, that's kind of crappy. And two of my friends at work were working on a podcast as well. So the podcast word had kind of flitted around my mind and I was a fan of podcasts. And so that was the moment I said, wait a minute, what if I interview moms about their journey into motherhood? And the initial idea of the podcast, which has now changed, but the initial idea was I would interview moms about their journey and so that moms who were currently pumping or breastfeeding could listen and know that they weren't alone. And I originally called it the Pumping Podcast. But then it was truly over COVID and everything that I was introducing myself as a mama in training. And so I kind of thought, where am I in this story and in this podcast? And that's when I kind of discovered that there needed to be a shift and I needed to narrow it down and make it more something that I could do. And I was doing, which was learning. And so now more specifically, it's called mamas in training. And I interview Moms who often happen to also be experts in whatever they are doing now as a result of whatever challenges they experienced. So, um, and I learn from them what they wish they had known before they were pregnant or when they were pregnant or when they were a new mom so that I can learn (laughs) selfishly. And then any of my audience who are listening can learn right alongside me Um, because we kind of study everything else in life but we rarely study motherhood. And I think it's a really nice opportunity if we have the luxury or even if we don't, when we're pregnant or a new mom, but just hearing from other people, how things are going.
2: So what are a couple of things that you've learned that really surprised you? There are
1: three main topics that I've learned. And then I'll give you like another example of a couple of practical things. So the three main things mostly have been advocacy. So the importance of advocating for yourself whether it's when you're trying to conceive when you're pregnant or then when you're actually giving birth or postpartum even i mean it continues and we have so much more control than we think that we do so advocacy is huge 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 um the second thing is community the importance of community and how you can set these things up for yourself before that moment comes. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be like a food train. Um, it can be, you know, a doula, it can be a lactation consultant if you have the finances to do that. Um, and having that, the, the community that extends even beyond your initial family or whoever's going to be there, hopefully to help support you. Um, that's really key because first of all, we need to do a better job at letting our moms heal and we need to do a better job at talking about the stigmas that we feel so that we know that we're not alone and we have that support. So community is huge. And then sort of the practical things are like little things. Like I didn't know that you can even, you know, there's a certain way to push, when you're giving birth that can actually damage or not totally damage, but can cause damage to your pelvic floor, like something called pur- purple pushing. And that's holding your breath and you know, when you puff your cheeks out and you're pushing them really hard instead of taking a deep breath in and letting it out as you breathe out. And a lot of nurses who are there with you when you're giving birth will often say, take a deep breath and bear down and push like you're going to poop. And yeah, there's a level of that, but there are other ways that we can do it. And I think we often take for face value, what the doctors and the nurses say, because they do this all the time, but you can also say like, thanks for that advice, but I've actually learned that there's a better way that's going to work for me and my body. And I would have never thought something like that. I would have never even thought that you can put music on or that you can ask to not know what your measurement is so they're going to measure your cervix as as you're in labor but you don't have to know what it is and oftentimes women feel like that's a better thing not knowing because then they don't get in their head you know if they don't think that they're progressing because they're only two centimeters you know then they don't have to think about the number. They can just think about what the experience is and what they're feeling. And oftentimes when women don't think about it, they progress even faster because it's kind of that mental block. So it's moments like that and things like that. Or the last tip I'll give is like a formula. So a majority of women, not all women, but a majority of women plan and prepare and hope to breastfeed. But what they kind of do is like, okay, I know that formula is an option, but I want to breastfeed. Yep. I plan to breastfeed and I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to breastfeed. But what happens if you're in that moment and that baby comes out and that first day, those first few hours, you're trying to get that baby to latch. You're trying to get your milk to come out. Like there's so many different things that can slow down that process. And it's going to come to a time that baby's going to need food. And if you don't have colostrum that you've prepared, or you don't have a formula picked out now, postpartum, just a few hours after giving birth filled with hormones filled with this overwhelming, like feeling you have to now either just be comfortable with whatever formula The doctor decides, or the nurse decides to give your baby, or you have to just sort of pick one out of thin air, or you have to just go with whatever they have at the hospital. But instead I've learned from this formula expert that I interviewed, pick out a formula, whether or not you think you're going to use it, but a formula that worst case scenario, if you had to use it, you feel comfortable with it. You feel comfortable with the ingredients. You feel comfortable with the price. You feel comfortable with everything and physically buy it put it in your birth bag, take it to the hospital, put it in your hospital bag, take it to the hospital and have it ready. And if you don't use it, you return it. But at least that level of stress is there. So like,
0: it's kind of these little practical things that I'm learning that I'm like, Oh, love that. Oh, that too. You know. So have you ever thought about taking this beyond the podcast, a, a book or something else like that? I have in different
1: ways. Um, Yeah, we'll have to see kind of how it develops right now. The way that I've extended it is that I have a membership. And so women, if they want more community, like I mentioned, they can sign up and they can, well, I have a free community on Facebook that anyone can just join as long as you're a mom expecting or seasoned mom. But I also have a a more in-depth community where we meet monthly on zoom And I bring in experts. So usually past podcast guests to talk about a specific topic. So like I had one expert come in and talk about your pelvic floor and the women who are in the group can ask questions directly to that podcast guest. And it's kind of cool for them because they just, you know, they listened to the episode and now here's that person. Um, So that's the biggest benefit of the group. And of course, I hope that that just grows and grows and grows so that more women are in there and then we can all continue to connect and support. And, you know, there'll be breakout rooms and like all these fun things. But I have dabbled with the thought of some sort of a future course or something like that. Maybe not a book because I interviewed Heidi Murkoff at What to Expect and she's already got that pretty covered. <laughs> but um, I think some some sort of, Reasonably priced course would be a good idea, maybe along with a support group, because oftentimes I find that expecting moms, when they just get pregnant or just find out, they're kind of like, okay, what now? And they're going from all these different places and trying to sort through information. And so I would like to put all of the information that I've learned in one place so someone can just say, like, this is how you walk through this process slowly, but surely. So we'll see. I think I have to go through birth on my own first before I feel comfortable doing that. So it'll probably be a couple of years, but in the, in the, in the brainstorming mind, (laughs) but if anyone's listening or has women in your life who are expecting or new moms or aspiring moms, you can join now the free Facebook group or join our premium membership as well. I can send you those links too.
2: So you have an autoimmune um, issue that's impacted your journey to motherhood. What advice would you give to somebody who may be going through kind of a similar situation?
1: When I mentioned earlier, like I was trying to figure out where I fit in, a lot of people would say, you know, why the heck do you have a podcast about motherhood when you're not a mom? And it really was because when I got, I got this diagnosis actually right before TOR And then it just progressed and it was so bad. It was awful. And and so the reason why I can't have kids right now is because of the medication that I'm on for that autoimmune disease. And the medication has to completely be out of my body for months before I'm able to even try to conceive. So, you know, I'm 35. I would love to have had kids a long time ago. I've been with my husband for 13 years. Like it would be nice but I can't. And so I kind of thought that this would be a nice opportunity to turn something that kind of feels a little crappy into something a little more positive. And so honestly, I will say that many people deal with autoimmune diseases in many different ways and you have to do whatever is right for you at whatever stage you're in. So the things that I'm doing right now I would recommend to do for anybody to do, but I can understand because when I was in the heat of it and my disease was at its worst, I could not picture doing anything that I'm currently doing. Um, So like my first recommendation is to completely shift your diet. And I know nobody likes to hear that, but there is a reason. I, I, I won't try to stay on this soapbox for too long. But there's a reason why our world is so infused with fast food, with terrible food, with all these fake things going into our food. And that correlates so directly with the reason why so many more people at such a young age are developing all these autoimmune diseases. Why do you think we have all these commercials for all these steroidal, you know, injections like Humera, And that's what I was on. And in my opinion, I think that caused my arthritis, but that's my personal opinion. But why do you think that's so directly related? You know, it's just this cycle and people get paid when we take these medications. So I would say, if you have an ear to hear this, I would highly recommend checking out your diet I went on Dr. Amy Myers' autoimmune solution diet. It was basically an elimination diet. And then you add back in things over time. And by doing that, by controlling my stress, by finding something that gave me a passion like this podcast and keeping myself busy and occupied in a positive way, um, I really think, completely has changed my disease. And I can proudly say that as of now, I'm on the lowest possible dosage of my both medic of both of my medications. And I'm hoping that as of next week, I can drop down one of them completely. And then within the next month, the other one completely. And I was on a full dosage of these medications. And I was my, my, my situation was severe, like hard, really severe. I had to buy a cane, very severe. And so the fact that I'm managing that with food and with no other medication, I mean, it kind of sounds like a no brainer to me, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to hear that when, when you're struggling so much. So it would be to really take a look at your diet and it would be to get yourself something that just lights you up and makes you feel good because we need, to lower the stress in our bodies for autoimmune diseases.
2: What's your secret to a rewarding life? I think it has a lot to do
1: with being present and something that's kind of come over me in the past few years is sort of this definition of success. And so to circle back to my acting career, you know, because you have to have such a narrow focus when you start out in the acting world, theater world, you paint this picture of what success is going to look like to you. And so for so many years, Broadway was it. And then I kind of started to get older and I kind of started to have freakouts with my husband. And I was like, Broadway hasn't come yet. I also want to be a mom. And how do I get on Broadway and be a mom? And I mean, people do it, but... You go through all these things. And I remember specifically he sat me down and he was like, well, what is success to you? And I was like, well, it's being on Broadway. And that's what it was. And this could be anything for you. Like this could, if, if you're in a corporate job, this could be like getting that position or whatever. But then he said, which kind of shook my world a little bit. He was like, so just Checking. The national tour that you did, that wasn't success. That wasn't successful. The, you know, Mary Poppins that you did, that wasn't successful. The commercial that you shot, that wasn't successful. The relationships that you've built and you've created, that wasn't, our marriage, that's not successful. When you have a baby, is that successful? Is that success? And I was like, my mind kind of exploded (laughs) for a second. I was like, wow, you're right. Like there are so many other things that success can mean. And so I think the way that I've kind of readjusted my thinking over the past five years or so, because it is hard to think like, of course I wanted, I had that goal of Broadway, but just because I haven't gotten there yet, still have time, still could, doesn't mean that anything else that I do in my life isn't successful. And so I think the way that I sort of celebrate that and and stay present in what I have done is by being aware and curious about everything. And so actually for 2021, I like to choose words at the new year. I don't necessarily like, um, resolutions. So my word for 2021 was awareness after I had read the, the greatest secret, And it's really been unbelievable because every now and then I just remind myself about awareness and whether it's that I'm trying to be aware of the message that my husband is telling me, which is like, come sit on the couch with me for a second, stop doing work, or whether that's awareness of like this one thing has quote unquote crossed my desk three times, like maybe I should look into that or whether it's. Your body is feeling a little tired, a little pushed to the edge. Maybe you need to chill out a little bit. Like Whatever awareness it is has really allowed me to stay more present and acknowledge that what I have and what I've done is really actually extraordinary. And there's more to come, but I I can't discount what I've already done.
0: Thanks for listening to the Passionistas Project Podcast and our interview with Jessica Lorian. To tune in to the Mamas in Training Podcast, visit jessicalorian.com. Please visit the thepassionistasproject.com to learn more about our podcast and subscription box filled with products made by women-owned businesses and female artisans to inspire you to follow your passions. Get $45 of free goodies with a one-year subscription using the code WINTERGOODIES. And be sure to subscribe to the Passionistas Project Podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming inspiring guests. Until next time, stay well and stay passionate.